you, you look healthy. You, you came back without the Shanghai uh, cough. Uh, actually, I got a little bit of the cough. Oh. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I was already sick going in, so maybe it's just a seamless transition, you maybe know? Maybe it just, you know, like canceled it out. Yeah. Right? Who knows? I'm George Tekmachev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and we're back for another Easton podcast. And we're always happy to get your emails at podcast at eastontp.com. And you can follow Steve on Facebook at facebook.com slash big cat archery and Instagram and Twitter at Steve Anderson 88. There you go. So, if and, you're, and George is on Twitter at G Tekmachev. That's true. And if you can figure out how to spell that, you're ahead of the game. <laughs> you're in. Yeah. All right. Well, we're back, as I just mentioned. Steve is fresh back off the aluminum tube from Shanghai. And um, overall, I think we were all pretty happy this past week to see that Steve and the rest of the American team set a new world record. Steve, congratulations. Thank you. That is awesome. Yeah, it was a week of uh, ups and downs. I was started with the ups and got progressively worse from there, okay, but whatever. Well, you know, I mean, you can't have everything. Where would you keep it all? Right, exactly. But seriously, you know, new world record from the American team, breaking the world record that they held, that they'd uh, set five years ago. Uh, I think Rio was on that team back when that record was set. Yeah, it was Rio, Jesse, and Braden Galantine. Okay, and this time around it was Rio and Steve Anderson. And? And the Whiffler. Alex Wolfgang Whiffler. The Wolfman. And uh, Braden Galantine was number four man for the U.S. team at this event. Yeah. Shooting pretty solidly. 707, yeah. Nothing to cry home about. Crazy that a 707 is Not good enough four. to make the top three in the U.S. team yeah. right now. And, it's, uh, and, and it wasn't even top eight in the event. And this is Wolfgang's first World Cup. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Correct. Right. Yeah. So pretty solid uh, international debut for a uh, former recurve shooter, I will point out. Alex Whiffler, winner of Vegas last year. And uh, just a, a, good, a good shooter. I expect big things out of him for the next few decades so pretty cool stuff yeah. but you weren't real happy with your individual shooting tell us what happened um without yeah, getting into too many gory details i mean yeah short story long or long story short i mean qualified with the best score i've ever shot um in in competition and then probably shot the worst i've ever shot in head-to-heads okay you know, just everything everything was gone all ability to execute and aim went out the door head game thing not equipment i don't know i mean i think it was uh no it wasn't equipment it was it was all me i don't know what it is if i'm just struggling to find the balance i need between aim and execution or if i've just got an anticipation problem or what it is any thoughts about the weather um weather was good yeah yeah i can't complain so you know your medalists uh, for the compound men ended up being uh mr perfect mike schlusser for the gold medal yep and uh, Mike turned in a pretty good um, qualifying round, to put it mildly. New <laughs> yeah. world record. It was interesting. You know, we were as we went into it, the the women and the men's recurve had the women's compound and men's recurve had such good conditions. I thought, okay, you know what? If we can if we can keep these conditions, if it lasts the whole time, Mike's going to set a new world record. And I told Dean Alberger and a few other people, I said, Mike's going to do it today. It's going to happen. Unless we just get one crazy end of wind, you know, he's going to he's gonna drop a, a record. And the the craziest thing is, for and most people probably don't know this, he shot two different bows the first half of qualification. He switched each end. And then, because he couldn't decide which one was better. They were both so good, right? Mm-hmm. And after the first half, he shot a 359. So he goes, well, I guess I better go with the one that I didn't miss. 
and uh, he backed that up with a 358. He actually shot a 58 back-to-back arrows in the same spot about 11 o'clock, 9, and uh, like just out. And, and then he proceeded to clean the next two ends for a 717. So anybody that sees this thing on YouTube for the final, they're going to look at that thing and they're going to go, um, is this the guy that just set the world record? Yeah. You want to get into it a little bit? Um, you know, talking with Mikey. And just the high points. Yeah, Mike will be the first one to tell you that he's got something, some kind of demons right now in the finals matches. And yeah, we better we better describe what we're alluding to real quick here. Mike did not shoot to the level. He gave up more points in the first two ends, three ends. Yeah. Then of, he did the whole of tournament. the final. Then he did the entire previous qualifying round. Right. Yeah. He shot a one thirty nine in the final. Five eights and a nine. When Mike holds too long, he shoots a. It tends to be left side eight. And he shot two left side two eights. Three, four, in the five. first couple three ends. Yeah, he wasn't liking it. So not having fun. No, but you know he went into this. I mean, he's he'll like I said, Mike's one of my closest friends he'll be the first to tell you that he's got something going on in the finals so he went in he said you know what i'm gonna take this opportunity just to work on it so he switched from a a thumb button to a hinge which doesn't seem to have helped all that much no but i think it was the first step towards you know figuring stuff out and and by the way we're going to roll this into a story about something that may help you our listener um if you're encountering any similar demons as we move along here so pay attention yeah this is good stuff it is it's this is gold right here because you cannot get this from a coaching seminar typically you know this is this is something special that we're going to get into yeah but continue okay so so yeah mike switched it up um struggled and you know, if it wasn't touching red or an eight, it was a solid ten, though. Yeah, it's so, either either good or bad, <laughs> yeah. and and by his standards, either good or really bad. Yeah, so he's figuring stuff out, and I mean, look at just go back a year and and say, what final has Mike Schlosser not been in? He's the been only in, one he's I been can in think of is Poland, World Cup Poland last year. Yeah, and um, Copenhagen. But he yeah. was in the gold medal match, the first two World Cups. He was there in Poland. Okay, he wasn't. He wasn't in it in Colombia. Um, well, there think. are a few exceptions, but the fact remains, he's a force to contend with, at least through the quarterfinals in every single event that I yep. can think of in the past, say, 16, 18 months. Yeah, he's been in most every final indoors and out this and, year. And you know that's why he's ranked number one in the world right now. Right. So yeah, he'll he'll. Uh, He'll figure it out. We're all confident in him. So after all this doom and gloom we just mentioned, he ends up winning. Yeah, he ends up winning. So his his opponent opponent Elmo Elmo yeah. Demir Emagokli of Turkey. He he was so nervous. He shook an arrow off the rest. You know, on his now, this is after drawing. Mike. This is after Mike got in trouble. Yeah, Mike had already. Mike was way down. Right, five points down or more. Yeah, four or five. The door which was is a wide ton open in a final at this level. Right, door was wide open for Elmo. And Elmo kind of lost it. Uh, yeah, kind of is an understatement. He, uh, yeah, he got he got nervous. I don't know if it was just thinking, okay, all I have to do is shoot nines to close out the match, or what, or he just thought, hey, I'm going to win a World Cup, you know. But he shook one off the rest to the right side, I think it was, and he couldn't reach it. So he it. can't pull up and reach yeah, it. He couldn't with put his it back on with so his he, uh, bow hand. So he lets down. Now he's it's twenty got, seconds on the clock. Yeah, total from now the he's start. Probably got thirteen ish. So he goes to try to draw it again. He knocks it off again. Oh. So he he lets down. At this point, he's got like six, five, 
four. He's drawn his bow. It's too late. He knocks it off again. Again, with three or four seconds left, he's done. Yeah, he just he yeah he lets it down and walks off the line, pretty upset with himself. And then, I mean, the struggles continued the rest of the way. You know, he had a hard time shooting tens after that, and he had a hard time getting the bow back. Long story so, short, Mike ended up winning in spite of his occasional eight. Yeah, Mike shot a 139 to Elmo's 135, took it, home the win. So there you go. I, I said, mean, dude, it doesn't matter how you get it done, I guess. I guess. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, Demir Emigokli is a great shooter, and he'll he'll figure it out sooner or later. Yeah, I don't, I don't, maybe he needs lighter limbs or maybe he needs a drop-away rest or something, you know. Something. But, uh, yeah, he's got a good odds of finding it. He's He's been coming up since last year, and, you know, we've seen good results from him at the uh, at various events, so yep. you know I think he'll be fine. Michael Brosnan, a s- uh, Aussie shooter, uh, Michael came out there and shot himself a bronze medal, and he beat uh, was it Braden? Did he beat uh, for no, 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 he beat Peter Elzinga. Peter Elzinga. Sorry, yep. so Peter Elzinga uh, with another finals appearance, but uh, finishing fourth place. Um, yep. One of those guys that switched bows last year and uh, just hasn't quite gotten to the same level he was at before he. Uh, yeah, you could argue Peter was kind of cruising along, you know, somewhere in that quarterfinal, consistent quarterfinal contender category, but hasn't had too many podiums in the last couple, three years, probably. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, two or three years ago, he had his first World Cup win. And I think this was his, uh, since then, this is his most recent finals appearance. Let's talk compound women here for a moment. Um, and we can talk more about the compound men and your particular your particular performance. You want to go there first? You want to you want to talk about? Let's do that. Let's let's go there first. Let's talk about Steve Anderson's performance. Oh, just for a bit. You're not happy about it, even though yeah. you participated in that world record. Um, what was your score in that world record uh, team round? Did you keep track? Seven uh, eleven. Nice, nice. So yeah. So you know that's that's solid shooting right there. And um, what uh, was the you know? Yeah, I will say on a on a day like that, you know, where I figured. Mike was going to beat the world record. I've never come off the line and been like, ah, 7-11. I left a lot out there. <laughs> no, you didn't feel that way, did you? I did feel that way. You really did? That's the first time ever. I mean, it was so Because right. the conditions, conditions were really were good. so perfect. So even you, you know, who, let's face it, you don't practice. Compared Not like to, I need to. Well, compared to the other 10 guys around you at that event, because, you know, with all due respect, you're getting by on talent right now. You're just not practicing much. You're working. I'm a one lot. of the few guys who has a full time job. Yeah. Whereas Rio's full time shooting, right? Mike is full time shooting. Mike Schlusser. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know about Michael Brosnan, but I mean, you know, Peter Elzinga's running an archery shop and shooting an awful lot, more than you are. I mean, you know, give yourself a little break here. It was yeah, it was a good day. And a lot of guys would, you know, kill for seven eleven. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a very to to look down the line and say, okay. How many guys here have shot seven ten or above at a World Cup? So you're in the top Not eight. Many. You're in the top eight. Yeah. You know, remember our last podcast? I, I gave you my pet peeve, which is the top eight, protecting the top eight, and yeah. how that can be a cold experience going. And how did it work for you this time? Um, not good. I mean, I it, it I won't say that the top eight hurt me. It was more so from that morning. I mean, I was struggling. I went and practiced that morning. Struggle. So it didn't feel right. Yeah, I came out, shot my first match, got through on a struggle um next match big pat larson he had a you know 148 the round before so he was obviously shooting pretty good obviously i was obviously shooting pretty bad and at that point it was 
I mean, it was over probably the second end. Well, I was, you got a, what, a 17-hour time zone change? I mean, that's not helpful. Yeah, that doesn't help at all. <laughs> right? Because so. you didn't give yourself any time to acclimate. You got there and started shooting. Yeah, we got there on practice day yeah. or the day before. Yeah, you know, so, so I mean, that's, you know, you hope your bow shows up, you know. Exactly. So, all right. All right, moving on. Let's talk about the compound women just a skosh here. Uh, Sarah Lopez, the great, is just off to a good start this year. She uh, she was second at the last major event that she shot, and now she's won this one. Um, she won, let's see, what was her last major Was she event? at AZ Cup? Yeah, no, yes. Did she yes, win that one? she was second there. She was second there, so that's yep. what I was referring to. Yeah. And then uh, Sarah Sonicson, who shot really well at Vegas uh, at the uh, – was it the World Cup Vegas thing, or was yeah, it the, the Vegas? Cup yeah, because it was Inga Van Caspel that won Vegas shoot. Correct. But Sarah won the World Cup in Vegas and uh, took the silver medal at this event. And then Seol De Jong of Korea, who we've seen before, one of their top compound women, which means she's one of their, you know, bottom thirty recurve shooters. Just kidding. <laughs> no, she used to be a recurve shooter. Um, she is. Uh, she's going home with a bronze medal from Shanghai. For the compound men's team, it came down to the USA versus uh, Iran. And the Iranians are showing their Persian archery history here. They uh, they beat you guys. Um, they won the match. Okay. Whiffler I, and I beat us. I understand the distinction. Yeah, they won the match. All right. I'll go ahead and I, I will take 100% of the blame. I mean, I shot terrible. Whiffler shot terrible. Um, Rio slight, shot well. Yeah, Rio was the only reason we were even close. Well, it's a team round. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was. It's the, a team round. There's I mean, no I me and team. Up Although it is arrow. an anagram for meat. <laughs> right. I, I stepped up first arrow. Number one, that was the worst uh, stage I've ever shot on. Extremely shaky. You could feel the guy behind you. Oh, you mean the physical platform? Yeah. If he shifted his weight, you felt it. I heard they moved the venue. Yeah, I was in a park somewhere, and it it sucked. So, was it slightly downhill? Um, not that I know. I only ask because the very first one we shot in Shanghai back in like '07 had about a one meter downhill slope or huh. two meter downhill slope. So I was wondering if it was the same place. Anyway, I didn't notice. Moving on, but yeah. So it first arrow wind picks up. It's coming across this pond, and I shank one out in the eight, and from there on, it just never. I never could put it together you Iranians kind of held it together though yeah they shot really well you know I saw them shoot at uh, Bangkok and you know the uh, one of the guys on the team Omid Tahiri is the one that uh, freaked out Rio at the world indoor was, oh, he still, yeah, yeah. was he still doing some of that stuff I didn't pay attention to him okay. I was f- battling my own demons yeah yeah okay <laughs> were you guys on the right or on the left we were on the left okay so you weren't paying attention to him because you probably would have seen it if it had happened while he was doing his thing Majid Gaidi and Esmail Ebadi rounding out the Iranian team taking victory over Alex, the Wolfgang, Wiffler, Steve Anderson, and Rio Wild for the United States. And uh, the Aussies got themselves uh, uh, another bit of hardware with the bronze medals. Yeah. Who'd they take out? Um, France. Okay. So I don't French. remember. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think you're right. Yeah, Scott Bryce and Michael Brosnan and Justin Inko of Australia. Yeah, Scott Bryce, I don't think he... When we shot against them in the semis, I don't think he missed an axe the whole time. Pretty impressive. It was, yeah, he shot really well. Speaking of impressive, how about those women from Denmark? They did pretty well with Sarah Sonicson, Tanya Jensen, and Erica Anir taking the gold medal. And then uh, for the silver, 
the powerful Russian team headed up by Albina Loginova, Maria Vinogradova, and Natalia Avdieva. How's uh, how's Albina's shoulder doing? Um, I don't know. She was in a lot of pain at the World Indoor. Yeah. You could tell. And uh, it was causing her all sorts of trouble, so hopefully she's recuperated some. Yeah. Silver medal is not a bad bad place to be. Turk's coming on strong for the women's team uh, with the bronze medal for the team of Turkey. Yasim Bostan, the uh, former World uh, Indoor uh, Junior champion, and Evrim Saglam, and uh, Ayas Bira Suzer, who's a, a little more of a, a new shooter. For the mixed teams, France pulls it out for the compounds. Emily Sassenon, who we've seen in a couple of events, and uh, Sebastian Peno shooting well for this uh, gold medal round. They beat Colombia, which was Daniel Munoz and uh, Sarah Lopez. And then the Russian team took the bronze for the compound mixed teams, Albina Loginova, and my favorite shooter is Viktor Kalashnikov, Mr. AK-47. Yes. So, recurve men. Uh, we saw a powerful performance from Chef Van Derenberg. He's got those X-10s working well. Yeah. yeah um, it was... Recurve men had it going. I mean, if you look at qualifications. Well, Brady, of course, the, you know, shooting the third highest score ever let's in just, qualifying uh, round. You, know, you just, know, would you say 660 is a pretty good score? Tremendous score. I'd be happy with a 660. In fact, uh, it's probably right up there with, you know, the best I've ever shot. 660 would have put you in like a six-way tie for 42nd. Yeah, I get it. You know, Unreal shooting. Yeah. 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 You know, you got to be in the 40s now, right? Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, um, you you know, you could get away with being in the low 30s. Now you can't. You've got to be in the 40s, you know. And some big names down there in the 40th place category. You know, you look at guys that you wouldn't expect to see down there who, you know, maybe because of various things going on. <laughs> I mean, you know. It, I wonder sometimes if when it's so dead calm and so perfect, freaks guys don't out. know how to shoot in that. Could you freak know? people out. I mean, it was, it was unreal. Didn't bother Brady. No, no, Brady's been on a tear, and he was ten points up on the next guy. Yeah, Chef was a six eighty seven, which, which is, is pretty darn respectable. It's probably his best ever, probably. But you know, Brady beat that by ten. Yeah, ten points, and there, there was of. another a six eighty five from uh, Alec Potts from Australia. Right. So, and and you know, I don't know Alec actually, but uh, you know, obviously they've got some depth in Australia for. I mean, they had Matt Gray there, I guess. And, you know, Matt's been around since, uh, well, let's put it this way. I go back to, I, I've shot with Alex, with uh, with Matt, you know, um, 20 years ago. So that gives you some idea how long he's been around. Wow. And you've got, um, you know, just a, a very good performance there from Chef Vandenberg, who went on to win the individual gold medal against uh, America's Zach Garrett, Brady's teammate. Yep. Who was uh, also a good qualifier. In Shanghai, Zach yeah, had a good a qual score, six seventy two. Not nothing to be ashamed of, <laughs> by no means. Yeah, good conditions or not, that's you still got to make the shots, and that's a pretty good score. And then Wei Chung Hing of Chinese Taipei. Um, you know, the Chinese Taipei men were able to qualify a full team in Copenhagen. Um, surprisingly, the women were not. And you know, the Chinese Taipei women did well at this event, relatively speaking. I think you know, but uh, let's look at the women's result. We have. Um, the junior from Korea, first big international, Ju Hebian of Korea. And I, I guarantee you, if she makes it to another international event, we'll see her on another leaderboard. You know, but that's, you know, first time out and boom, wins a gold medal. They no surprise. We, we such, predicted that. There's got to be 
you know, such expectations and such confidence that if you're, if you're the one putting on the Korean uniform, you have an expectation within yourself to win. Well, and you've been prepared properly yeah. to get there. It's right? crazy. The other thing is the Koreans, they don't freak out when they get close to a world record because, you know, their practice scores are so high. Their comfort zones are really good. Tanya Ting, the powerful shooter from Chinese Taipei, uh, took the silver. And then another Korean, another Korean newbie, as it were, part of the junior squad, Kim Chae-yun, taking the bronze um, for, you know, almost a Korean sweep for the women. And for the men's team, Korean men's team, again, juniors, a Korean junior men's team, taking the gold, beating Netherlands. You know, I mean, what can you say? Crazy. Park <laughs> Seon Chol, Lee Son Jun, and Han Jae Yup. The first time at a big international event, and boom, gold medal for the team. Chef Van Den Berg, Rick Van Der Ven, and uh, relatively new guy, Mick DeBacher, shooting for Netherlands. I don't know Mick. Do you uh yeah, know I, you say? I know him a little bit, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um Fits in well with that crew. And I think they're... Is he a younger guy like the other two? Yeah. He's probably 21-ish. Yeah. You know, they're in the midst of selecting their team, and I I think they've pared it down to four now. And it was the four that were at this event. Okay. Who was the fourth one? Do you know? um, uh, It was uh, Mitch Dealmans. Okay. I I believe is his name. He's a good good field shooter, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yep. So... You know, field archery is good for your target archery sometimes. Well, because it's less boring. But... Uh yeah, I think they'll have a solid team, you know, and they're 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 making their selection with a team round in mind. You know, they want they want a guy who has the best balance of qualification scores and elimination rounds. I think they've figured out that their best bet for an indivi- for for a medal is going to be in the team round. Yeah, and who cares if it's a team round or individual? You know, it's a gold or bronze or silver Olympic medal. Any Olympic medal is a great medal in Europe. It's only here yeah. in America that we've got this fixation on gold medals. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> That's interesting. It's the truth. I mean, we're just totally fixated on gold medals here compared to a lot of other countries is what I'm trying to say. So good good performance from uh, Netherlands, um, but humbling to be beaten by the Korean juniors, no doubt. You know? Yeah. Just, again, you know, we've talked about it over and over again, probably boring people with it, but the depth, the Korean depth. It's the freaking marinara trench or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> the, the marinara trench. Well, whatever. It sounds like a pasta It's dish. a deep pasta dish. Yeah. <laughs> Mariana Trench. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> marinara Trench. Yeah. Anyways, um, you know, I got criticized once for my lack of knowledge of one area, and I'm sure I'll get that for my uh, geographical lack of knowledge, too. All right. Bronze medal. Uh, Atnu Das, India, Jayantatalikdar, and Mangal Champia. This is a veteran team, these three Indian guys. With I, the most merciless press corps in the world yeah yeah i'm not super familiar with any of them so i well uh, yeah they're 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 all uh you know jay talakdar of course has been around you know since you were in diapers practically really yeah so you know he was uh the winner of the very first world cup in uh mexico in like oh six in like oh six interesting yeah anyway uh let's see here recurve women's team gold medal chinese taipei tanya ting li chen ying and lin xie chia and they're of course wanting to you know, land their Olympic berth. I don't know what the status is. Uh, was that wasn't the CQT, right? So, Shanghai was not the CQT for, it might, uh, for Asia. No, so I don't think so. All right, and then we've got Deepika Kumari, who shot the top women's recurve score in qualification, six eighty six, tied the world record. Yeah, 
solid shooting. 686, just one point down from Brady. It was or, uh, Sorry, 11 points down from Brady, but one point down from the number two man. Yeah. On the first half, she was 346, which put her one point down from Brady. Yeah. So Solid. Um, yeah, there was – well, I probably – yeah, I'll, we'll talk about this later. All right, okay. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> there well, was a wager made between some people, a friendly wager, you know, hundred to one odds if if she would uh, if she would beat Brady's score. Uh-huh. So someone took the dollar bet there. Oops. And you know, hundred to one. Yeah. So if they had won, it was a hundred dollars. Yeah, they lost a dollar. So they did. Yeah, but I don't know who they were. That's just what I. We're heard. not going to name names. And yeah, I don't know how the you know sport would feel about gambling with it. I can tell you how the sport would feel about it. <laughs> not positively. I've told you already that they're trying an initiative yeah. to try to make sure there's no gambling going on in archery. We'll have to tell those people to not gamble. Maybe so. Or wager, you know, food. There you go. All right. That's probably how it got paid out. Yeah. Hotel sushi. Yeah. Anyway, Deepika Kumari, uh, Debbie Leshram, uh, and uh, Lex Marani Maji who have uh, been shooting together for a long time as well. And so the Indian team with a solid silver medal. Bronze medal went to Rosia, Ksenia Perova, Tiana Dashdorzieva, and Ina Stepanova, all veteran shooters for the Russian Federation. Mixed teams, hey, hey, USA. Yeah, there we go. For the recurves, Katuna and Brady. Not a bad performance. They beat the Chinese Taipei squad of Tanya Ting and Wei Chung Heng. So happiness for the American uh, recurves there. Deepika Kumari and Atanu Das of India took the recurve mixed team bronze. Now this leads to uh, the fact that we now have rankings for both uh, mixed teams and individuals for the World Cup 2016 circuit. And uh, no surprise, number one with a bullet, obviously this ranking is going to follow the results of this World Cup. Yeah, It's Mike Schlusser, number one. Uh, he's got 25 points on the board. Uh, now there's two more events this year because it's a it's a relatively you know abbreviated. There's one less event this year, and that's because of course we've got the Olympic Games uh, coming up. And the Mira McGockley is second in the ranking. Mike Brosnan is third. Peter Elzinga is fourth. The big Viking Pat Larson is fifth. Our friend from South Africa Seppi Siliers is number six, tied with his teammate uh, Gabriel Bednorst. Domagoch Budin is eighth, and then we've got a whole bunch of guys tied for ninth, including um, Mr. Singh from India, Mr. Van Isle from Netherlands, Mr. Virma from India, Mr. Mazuki from Malaysia, Mr. Kools from Belgium, and Big Steve Anderson from the United States of America, ranked ahead of Martin Damsbo, by the way. So, yeah. there you go. Interesting. And then you've got Kim Tae-yoon uh, rounding out those top-ranked shooters top 16 and historically you got to be there in that top 16 in the first event to really have you know good momentum going into the other events but anything can happen yeah it's uh for those of you who don't know when we used to shoot four events only three of them counted so this year you can't throw any out you got to do it yeah, all the way all three count and i know there's a number of guys who may not go to turkey just out of safety concerns and i tell you yeah, yeah so that could be a problem then yeah I, you know, I wouldn't be as concerned about Antalya as I would be about other destinations in in, uh, in Turkey. You know, I know that we just got a big, here in the U.S., we get these State Department warnings about travel and stuff, right? So, you know, uh, we're very aware. Steve and I are both, you know, dialed into that system because we're frequent global travelers. And, you know, they just issued another warning. And, you know, it is what it is. But I, I guarantee you the Turks will do their level best to keep it as it has been. 
safe event. And, uh, you know, uh, our thoughts are with our friends over there as they deal with a lot of uh, major issues. Um, a lot of guys still in the running, uh, including, um, let's see here, Real Wild, Victor Kalashnikov, and uh, the Wolfman, as well as Stefan Hansen, who didn't have such a great performance at this one. He shot a miss. Ooh, that does not help. Yeah, he missed and then finished with a 139. Ouch. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good shooting with a miss. Yeah. Um, for the women, number one is Sarah Lopez. No surprise there. She gets all 25 points. Second place is Sarah Sonicson of Denmark. Seol De Jung of Korea is number uh, three. Linda Ochoa Anderson, your better half. And boy, has that term never applied more than <laughs> it does with you two. Uh, Linda <laughs> is number four. Uh, Janine Van Kredenberg is uh, from South Africa. She's fifth, tied with Crystal Galvin. Crystal shot well. And then you've got uh, Stephanie Salinas of Mexico. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. It was Stephanie that won in the Arizona Cup. Is that right? No. Sarah, uh, Toya won. Oh, there. Toya Cern. That's right. And then we've got, uh, let's see, Lily Palanam of India. Um, Christina Hagenhauser of Germany known to many of you by her maiden name, Christina Berger, and uh, Amélie Sanseno of France, Ferechtech Gorbani of Iran, Erika Anir of Denmark, formerly of Australia, Yesim Bostan of Turkey, and Toya Cern, the fiancé of Brady Ellison, or did they get married? They, they got married. They did get married. Okay, yeah. well, congratulations to Toya and Brady. When yeah. did that happen? Um, they I got think, engaged in Vegas. Yeah, I think two weeks ago they just did a... A legal marriage, right? So they could get the process started. Huh. And they'll have a ceremony at some point. Well, how cool is yeah. that? So, Well, that's really, really nice. And um, some other notable shooters in here in this uh, top top 32 include Lucio Sullivan, uh, Maria Vinogradova. Uh, let's see here. Song Yun-Soo of Korea, uh, Naomi Jones of GBR, and Irina Markovic of uh, Netherlands, as well as Albina. Loganova, the two-time champion of the world. For the recurves. This is really going to get muddled up, the recurves, because the teams are going to shift dramatically. Yes. Some people are not going to the next event. Or the next one. And they're switching off. Yeah. Because, for example, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Chef Vandenberg. Vandenberg. He's already, I mean, Netherlands has already claimed one men's slot with Chef. Am I wrong about that? I could be wrong. I got to check. What do you mean? It, for, like, the, for the Olympic Games. Uh, so they, they would they send? Team. They do have a full team. They yeah. got a full team. All right. So, so why would they go to Turkey? Uh, just to practice to get World Cup points and yeah. practice. Yeah, practice together. So, chef is number one. Zach Garrett is second. Wei Chung Wei Chung Hen of uh, Chinese Taipei is third. Ernesto Boardman of Mexico, who shot well at the Arizona Cup, he is uh, fourth. Jay Talakdar of India is fifth. Kao Hao Wen of Chinese Taipei, who we haven't seen too much on the circuit, he's sixth. Fatih Boslar of Turkey is number seven. Gu Xiusong of the People's Republic of China is number eight. And then uh, rounding out the top 16, you've got Pierre Plihon from Nîmes. And uh, Mete Gadzots of Turkey. Dapeng Wang, uh, Wang Depeng of China. Riau Ega Agatha of Indonesia. Arslan Baldanov of Russia. Atanu Das, who uh, took home a medal in the uh, mixed team and, uh, from India. Our buddy Crispin Duenas rounding out the top 16 our boy from canada so uh a few good shooters that didn't make the top 16 include rick vanderven and juan Rene serrano as well as larry godfrey and um you know brady ellison isn't in the top 16 
Protected Eight didn't do him any good. Protected Eight did not do him any good. Nor did the set system. No, no. Well, you know, the set system is a way of life, right? Yeah. At the moment. <laughs> yeah. Rankings for, finally, the recurve women. Uh, again, you've got a bunch of Korean women in here who we haven't seen before at these events. It's uh, Ju yeah. Haibian of Korea, number one. Tanya Ting, who we've seen a lot, you know, for the last 10 years. Tan, Miss Tan is uh, number two. Uh, with 21 ranking points of the possible 25. Uh, Kim Chae-yun of Korea is third. Maya Yeager of Denmark is fourth. Uh, Deepika Kumari is fifth from India. Lee Chen Ying of Chinese Taipei is sixth. Laxmirani Amaji of India is number seven. Karina Ziominskaya of Belarus is number eight. Ksenia Perova of Russia is number nine. And then rounding out the top 16, Ki Yu Hong of China. A bronze medal winner from the team round of the London 2012 Olympic Games, Kaori Kawanaka of Japan, is in there as well as Lisa Unruh, who won the World Indoor Championship. Lisa from Germany. Um, let's see who else we have here. We have uh, Aurem, Joe Aurem of Korea, Sui Yuan Wang of China, Tuyana Dashdorzieva of Russia, and finally Christine Esabua of Georgia. Uh, Lenola Pritchard of the United States, uh, from 30 miles down the road, in fact, uh, here in Utah. Lenola is number 17. Elna Richter is in there. Uh, let's see who else is in the top uh, 32. We've got, um, in fact, that's all there is ranked right now. Tomomi Sugimoto of Japan, who is actually their top ranked shooter at the moment. And then you've got uh, Naomi Folkart is in there. Veronica Hayden Salova is in there. And Natalia Sanchez from Colombia, as well as Ina Stepanova of Russia. No particular order there in that uh, bottom bracket there. But, you know, pretty good results for first major outdoor of the year, if you don't count the Asia Cup, you know? Right. Compound mixed teams. Uh, number one is France. Colombia second. Russia third. And then uh, recurve mixed teams. USA, numero uno, baby. Not a bad, not a bad result. And Chinese Taipei second, India third, Korea fourth, Turkey fifth, Russia sixth, and Mexico seventh. Denmark is uh, out of the top seven. Yeah, but Denmark's the host, so they're in. That is an automatic in for yep. Denmark. And um, so. All right, so earlier, before we bored you with all these stats from the Shanghai World Cup, we promised you some gold, and, and, and here it is. Yeah, we think it's gold. Right? Well, I, think I do. Gold. I think it is. I think it's got some potential for being gold. Yeah. All right. Here's the deal. We know, and Mike. More, more importantly, Mike Schlusser knows. He's got a. He's got a problem. He's got a case of the yips when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to shooting head-to-head finals. The yep. guy is capable of shooting, perfect scores. Hence, Mister Perfect. Yes. The only man to shoot an indoor perfect round, and uh, still true, right? Nobody has done it yet. Still that true. I know of. And uh, yet, you know, he gets up there and he shoots worse in the first two or three ends of the final round than he did in the entire qualifying round. So his head's wrapped around qualifying, no problem. Yeah. There's something else happening. Yep. And so Braden Galantine's significant other. Yep, Margot. Margot. Miss Margot. Who's perfect for Braden because she is a veterinary student. Yeah, she's going to be an animal doctor. So it's perfect for dealing with Braden. <laughs> Margo, I love you, Braden, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say, Braden, that you scored well when 
when uh, when when uh, you got together with Margot. We'll just leave it at that. Here's the deal, though. Margot has a theory. Yeah. So she was doing. You know, Braden relayed this to me. She was doing some research. You know, found some um, some uh, what do you what do you call it? Peer reviewed, you know, articles about the yips and target panic and things like that. The yips is, I don't know if it's used in a lot of other cultures. Let's make sure people understand what we're talking about. We're talking about an affliction of golfers in their short game. Yeah, golfers or uh, you you could even say the the famous baseball player who couldn't throw to first. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's an example of of the yips, right? You just can't do it. Right. Right. We saw Ernie Els at the Masters tournament. He putted seven times or six times on one hole. And Phil Mickelson's famous for some of this sort of thing. Yeah, so so she said um, basically what causes that is your brain releases an endorphin. You know, when you shoot a 10, let's say, your brain goes, yeah, that was cool. Do that again. Well, after a while, it goes, it tries to shortcut the system, right? It wants to just give, get 10s immediately. And, and pretty soon it forgets to go through the whole process of execution and aim and blah, blah, blah. So then you have issues with, not be able to aim middle or not be able to to execute at the right time. Without going into too much detail, the stuff that people refer to when they talk about, you uh, know, that phrase that is talked about, which yeah. will not be uttered. Yeah, the anticipation issue. There you go. So It's anticipation. <laughs> so anticipating. Um, so she said what they often do to combat this, you see, and you see this out of golfers a lot, they change their putting grip or you know they switch which hand is on top because putting it doesn't really matter how you hold it as long as you can make the stroke but changing the grip yeah they change the grip they do something different um by the way dick tone if you really get a bad case of this he'll make you change hands oh that's yeah that's interesting worked for doug denton for a while yeah so you could change for an archer you know you could change releases you could change tabs you could change sight reticles you know, do something different. Change Sight reticles you, is a good one for a recurve shooter, by the way. Yeah, change the way you hold the release. That can make a difference too. So, um, you know, Braden was going to go home and try some different stuff, and he he feels like maybe he needs to work on something else. And, um, but it was it was interesting to read. You know. Okay, that, and uh, that leads directly to Mike Schluser's strategy for dealing with his problem. Yeah, so he went to a, a completely different release. He went to a hinge. Yeah, he went to a hinge. Now, just so everybody understands. Let's talk about what Mike was shooting release style wise and what he went to. Yeah, what he was, was he shooting when the qualifying round took place? I, uh, you know, Carter target four, he holds it with three fingers. Like Carter target says. four held with three fingers, meaning a thumb release. Yep. Pressure on the thumb makes the, on the barrel from the thumb makes it go off as your elbow rotates through the shot. Is that about accurate? Yeah. Okay. If you're doing it right, yeah, you're not, if you're doing, yeah, you're not if you're actuating doing it, right. it with your thumb. Right. You're holding your thumb in a certain place. And as you turn, as you as the release naturally turns with your geometry changes, you come through the shot. Yeah, it, it, it sets it off. Yeah. Okay. So he changed to a hinge yeah, he to release. A hinge style. Now a hinge style is one that is what you might call a pure back tension style. Right. Does not have the barrel for the thumb. No trigger. Remember, we got to make this clear to people who you know are all different levels of our sport. Right. A lot of folks get what we're talking about, but I want to make sure we're not losing part of the bus load here. Which is up to 40-something thousand people, by the way. Unbelievable. <laughs> Which I just, I'm like, there's that many people that actually listen to archery stuff? Like archery. That's kind of fun. <laughs> All right. But anyway, 
That's that's like the entire archery population of UK or or Japan. Although we don't have all of those people listening. All right. Anyway, where was I? Ah, okay. Explain the hinge. Yeah. So a hinge. Stanislavski classic release. Uh, well, I mean, I think they made one of the first. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't tell you there, but Mike was shooting some version of a target he, or of a, a Carter. He, he, a Carter hinge type release. Yeah. One with so, a safety or no safety? No safety. Yeah. So hinge operates just off rotation when the hook, the hook rides on a ledge, which we call the moon. And as it rotates past the moon, it opens up and fires. Now, the reason it's called a moon is basically a half circle that looks like looks a like half, half moon. moon. Yep. And some of them have a notch that actually goes click. Yeah. So you know where first. you're at. Does yep. Did Mike use one with a clicker? I do not know. Okay. But the point is that, you know, there's more than one variation of this kind of thing. You can set the timing. You can set it to go hotter or colder, faster or slower. Mm-hmm. So you have to hold it longer and pull it longer, or you just have it go off more quickly. Yeah. And some people, some people, like Randy Ulmer at one time, They'll have multiple ones in their release pouch. Yep. They reach for it blind, and they don't know how it's set. So they got different ones, and they got to stay honest through the whole shot. Yeah. yeah. And he just has to, at that point, execute. That's and just how Ulmer dealt with his it. Thing. Yeah. And that's not a bad idea. I it's mean, not. I, I feel like some sometimes you get accustomed to the timing on a release, and that can be good, but it can really quickly turn bad, too. Especially if you've got ongoing issues between the ears. Yep. If you got the yips. Yeah. So, did it help? I think it will help, you know. Long term, yes. But it is will. it a good strategy for Mike? Probably. To, to switch releases from qualifying to finals. Um cuz cuz I'll just say this. I think he kind of got lucky here. A oh, 100% bit. he got lucky. And I think he'd acknowledge that. Yeah, oh yeah, he he's He's a good sportsman and I'm sure he would acknowledge that, you know what? Yeah, his his opponent yep had the issues he had worse than worse than Mike did. But I'll say Mike I don't think Mike went into this and gave a darn whether he won or lost. He was just trying to overcome yes, something. Yes. He's just it's a it's the first stepping stone for him, yeah. you know. He's going to figure it out. And that not giving a darn thing may be very important. Yeah. That's probably half the battle. Um, yeah, well, I you know, I've I've done more than one or two lectures on this subject. Yeah. It all comes down to the ego, man. I mean, that's a big cause, that's a big trigger for some people and not I'm not saying Mike has a big ego cuz I don't think he does. No. But um, some shooters do, but Mike is not one of those. And I think what it is is expectation. Yeah. You know, and self-image and, you know, that kind of stuff. Expectation is external, but it's also internal. And I think that, you know, from, from a certain point of view, the strategy is sound. Absolutely a sound strategy to try to change things do up. something different. And going back to Margot's theory, break the chain of events so that you force yourself to reprogram. Yep. And I, I'm going to guess that, you know, Mike will figure it out strictly because he's going to have so many opportunities on that stage that he'll eventually figure it out or just get over it or whatever. But I'm going to guess when he does, you know, break through and start just dropping 150 bombs on people all day long again on the final stage, he'll probably have his thumb trigger back in hand. Sure. Because it, he knows that's ultimately, you know, what yeah. shoots the highest for him. Yeah, and I, I think it's just a matter of it'll, you know, maybe he needed to swap equipment a little bit to solve the the mental issue between the ears and and then an equipment change back to what he's accustomed to, 
will will end up working for. I don't want to drag this out too much more, but you know, I remember back in nineteen, um, sorry, in two thousand seven. Um, yeah, it was two thousand seven. Pretty sure. Yeah, it was. It was uh, World Outdoor, and a certain Mister Dietmar Trillis won that event, which was Howling Wind, with a Punchomatic release. Yeah, and. For some shooters, they're like, oh, well, we should go to a trigger release when we have bad weather, and we should stay with a hinge release when the weather is better. And I remember one other guy, certain Mr. Dave Cousins, said, never. Because if I ever shot a trigger release, that is, you know, a bow hunting style release. A, a slap strap. It would take him weeks, if not months. To recover. To recover. He said that. And you know what? He'd know. Yeah. Yeah. I see you nodding over there. So He would. So not necessarily a good idea to go from one, because you got to stay honest with both the hinge and the barrel, the thumb, you know, the, what do you call it? Like a thumb trigger. The thumb trigger release. Yeah. you got to stay honest with both of those mm-hmm. releases, whereas, you know, with the punch-o-matic, the, the trigger release, that yeah. is, you know, not, you don't have to be honest to shoot that all the time. Now, some people go, well, Sergio Ponte shoots like, no, he doesn't. No, he does not. He has a relaxed release. It's a different ball game. Yeah, and he, he's like the only guy in the world that can shoot that, too. Pretty much. So, yeah. Proven. <laughs> and he makes it look so easy. All right. Hey, you know what? We've been uh, we've been going for a while now, so let me, uh, let me do a couple things. First, let me remind you of a couple things. Number one, we have an uh, email address specifically dedicated for our wonderful podcast listeners. It is? Podcast at EastonTP.com. Exactly. And... Every week, in spite of the fact that we don't always remember to mention it, we do get listener questions. So here's uh, my listener question of this week is from a certain Mr. Boss Schlusser. Mikey's dad. And coach. He's all he's on top of stuff because, you know, I think he said he has about an hour drive into work or something. Oh. So he, uh, when he sees the podcast pop up, you know, he downloads it and listens to it on his drive. I feel bad for him. He's such a nice guy. He's got to listen to us for an hour. <laughs> All right. Anyway, boss, here's your question. Hi, George and Steve. Coming back at the rule of the week on your last podcast, the protection of the top eight qualifiers. I agree with you. It is bad for the top archers, but there is a simple solution. Start the 116th eliminations a day later than the 124th. Everybody starts on a new day completely fresh. Adrenaline is rushing for everybody, especially the winners of the 124th. They had a night to think about what they've done the previous day. I've watched a lot of finals, and every time there's a day between 124th and 116th, which is not always, but every time there's a day between, the top eight shooters suffer less casualties than when it is on the same day. Yours truly, boss. So I agree. I like that. They could do it. It's been done in some events. Yep. I mean, usually uh, we have – what you could do is just swap the team round elimination day and those last three or four matches, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And you'd be fine. Everything would work out. We've got another question here. This one's from uh, Corey. And Corey asks, uh, I guess we answered a question for him before. Thank you for answering my question on arrow travel on the rest. It's outdoor season now, and I'm struggling whether or not to set up a light kit uh, instead of sticking with my usual blue or green dot. So he's shooting 3D where a light kit is allowed. Mm. And I've never run a fiber before, but like the concept of being able to change the light intensity depending on ambient light. I shoot a lot of Mark 3D tournaments locally in California and will be attending the OPA. Oh, so he does Redding style. And, 
Yeah. OPA is that is that uh, invitational event you're going to? Yeah, from it's kind of like Levi writing. Morgan. Yep. Yeah. So uh, can you point me in the right direction, Steve? Yeah. If you if you want to run a fiber and on 3D targets without a dot, it's almost a complete necessity to run a fiber. In that case, usually a green fiber or a blue fiber is the most preferred. Green um, is picked up most readily by the human eye. Yeah. And blue is the one that is probably more distinguishable on the targets, and it's more reactive to uh, the the light that you can use to with the it. UV light. Yeah, you can. If you turn the light off with a blue fiber, you might, depending on where you're standing, you might not even be able to see it. Right, because the light kit he's talking about actually generates a good UV component, and that's what activates right. that fiber. Yep. So, um, so it sounds like you're recommending it. Yeah, me personally, and when I do a fiber, I want the smallest one possible because as you intensify it, it appears bigger. I've seen some down as far as twelve thou. Are they even smaller? Ten thou. Ten thou. Ten thou is yeah. the smallest. Yep. So that's probably the the way to go is point oh one oh fiber with a you know a light kit from whoever. But yeah, it it does it does work especially on three D targets with with no aiming points. Okay. So. Next question comes from Shannon who asks, hey guys, thanks for the podcast. Uh, what advantages, disadvantages are there with a 2712, that would be an X27, versus a full bore for indoor use? Most of the pros seem to be shooting 2712s, but I'm curious as to reasons. Steve? Um, well, anytime you talk advantages between carbon and aluminum, uh, starts number one, durability. A Carbon arrow is going to be more durable. That's just a fact. Depends on what you're shooting into, though, I'll point out. Yeah, that's true. You know, let's say you have a modern target butt, which we like to say, we like to call it modern. A, a 20th century target butt. 20, not yeah. made of something that you might put on a thatch roof in a <laughs> village in some prehistoric civilization. Yeah, if your target butt came out of a field. If your target butt was grown instead of being synthesized. <laughs> yeah, so let's say you're shooting modern target butts. Um, yeah, I mean, a. a a carbon arrow is going to probably last you basically forever, you know? Um, now that being said, large diameter carbons tend to be a lot harder to get to tune well, and they tend to be a little more critical to, cause they're way stiff. Yeah. They're, they're extremely stiff and they're, while they might spine the same as a, like, let's say... Static spine might be yeah, the same, but they don't spine, react the same. Right. The frequencies upon firing are completely different. Um, an aluminum arrow tends to act softer than a carbon arrow. And more predictably when you change point weight. Yep, that's true as well. So, um, so tunability. Tunability of the aluminum arrow, I would argue, is superior. Uh, I will. Yeah, I would say that as well. Also more reactive to small changes in weight on the bow. Right. So And point weight changes. Um. I'll say if you're struck, uh, it depends on draw length and things like that. But I, I can't ever take like a like say our female shooters. If they ask me about shooting a like a full bore, I say no. You know, you'll never get it to tune. Yeah, it's going to be so critical for you. You know, you're way better off with a 23 diameter arrow. Tuning trumps line cutting all day long. Yep. So let me point out another thing, and you've brought this up before in previous podcasts: lock time. Lock time right. between the all-carbon arrow and the aluminum arrow. The all-carbon arrow gets out of the bow faster, decreasing the amount of time you have to mess it up. Yeah, true. So but, that's advantageous. But some super high scores have been shot with both. Yeah, I've, and I've been on the uh, – my highest X count at Vegas came with carbons. And the highest score ever by Mike Schlusser. Came with aluminums. Yep. Yep. So, 23s. Yeah. Yeah. 
So so tuning does matter. Yeah. Of course, twenty sevens weren't allowed in the event that he shot this thing in, and they're not they're not part of world archery events. Right. But you know, twenty threes. Just to point out, Mike Schlusser won that world record with you know that six hundred score with mm-hmm. with twenty three shooting at ten rings the size of a dime. So um, the advantage of the aluminum arrow is also cost. Right. They're considerably Half the cheaper. Price. Yeah. You know. But my thing is. If you want to go, I mean, it's so the aluminums are so proven, and there's so many people who use them who can give you a good idea of how you should be setting them up because they're similar in specs to you. So the aluminum is the is the baseline, and if you want to take a lot of time and experiment and and really put some work into it, then a carbon you can look into a carbon. But for me personally, I set if I want to know how a bow shoots, I put aluminums through it because that's the easiest way for me to tell, and then from there I might throw some carbons in there, see how it works with those. I know I can always fall back on aluminums. Yep, because you can always get them to tune. Yep. All right, so hopefully that helps. Thanks very much for the question. All right, moving ahead, we've got, uh, you've got Redding coming up this weekend. Yeah. So Redding is the Western Trail shoot. Thousand and a half 1,500, shooters. 1,500, yeah. 1,500 shooters. Two, it, yeah, it's it's gotten to the point where it's le- legitimately like too many people. Basically, it's a Mark 3D target on non-standard targets. Yep, they're, they're a, a Raglan brand target. It's a, it's a weird one you'll never see unless you're at Redding. They're more or less custom for Redding. Yeah. They got a big red dot for an yeah, aim point. Yeah, big, big orange dot. Um, They've got marked distance and it's in yards. Yeah, it's it's more or less a field shoot. What makes it so popular? I don't Is know. Is it the camaraderie? Is it the the area? You're near you're in Northern California, right? So Yeah. I would say the, the course is cool. Because um, it's growing every year. I mean, this thing has just yeah. been successful every year. People like to travel to that one. It's kind of their. If you're gonna, if you're in the U.S. and you're gonna shoot one big outdoor shoot, Redding's the one. Because let's face it, going and standing at 50 meters is not that exciting. You know, at Redding, you get to shoot a four-yard butterfly and a 101-yard Bigfoot and everything in between. A lot of variety. Um, you hit Bigfoot, or you hit that big can of beer he holds. You shoot a Bigfoot. Okay. Yeah, it's a Pepsi can now. Oh, that's Family right. Family-friendly event, It George. used to have Coors, which is a beer brand here in the U.S., Coors on the on the thing. Yeah. It's, and they it's also Pepsi. used to have like a golf cart going around selling beer. Did you know that? I Yeah, I heard back in the day, you know. Yeah. It used to be a little more loose on the rules. Yeah. And well, you know, there was a time in this country when there'd be a cloud of blue cigarette smoke following most groups on field targets. Right. Yeah. They even, you know, the, the, the quiver company, Neat, N-E-E-T, they used to make a, a shield-shaped thing, a, a nickel-plated thing that would clip to your quiver, and it had a clip to hold a cigarette. So people would literally take a puff of the cigarette, stick this thing in the clip, take a shot, and then pull out the cigarette and suck down their cancer again. Oh, there was a... There was a guy who used to come into the bow shops I frequented back with, at home who uh, he loved he loved going to Africa, right? And he would shoot these 100-pound bows, just monstrosities of bows, and always struggled to tune them because, number one, they're 100 pounds, and there's not really arrows made for that. And number two, it's hard to find anyone who can pull back your 100-pound bow to help you tune it. So um, <laughs> you... He liked him some cigars, though, you know, and he would be, he wouldn't bother taking it out of his mouth. And when he, he would draw the bow back, 
And first off, to, to get the bow back, you know, it required like this Herculean effort where he would actually be facing away from the target, just yanking on the bow. That's got to have some bad impact on your anchor to have a cigar between your teeth. <clears throat> well, yeah, as he went to anchor the bow, and I, I wish you could see it, you know, but he'd have to, he'd have to pick his head up and lean it all the way back. To Maneuver get, the cigar around the string? Yeah, to get around the bowstring, and then he would, he would move it to the left side of his mouth. And then he would anchor it. By the way, shoot. if you're wondering what happened to the sound just now, that was Steve imitating what this shooter was doing. He's going out there, rotating his head away yeah. from the microphone. But okay, it was it was awesome to see. So and this was indoors. Yeah, well, yeah, he would just shoot wherever. Good lord, you know, it was it was pretty funny stuff. <sighs> well, yeah, you know, but yeah, he didn't need your your cigarette holder. <laughs> no, he'd just keep the cigar between his teeth. Yeah. Awesome. I used to shoot back east at a place called Leo's Archery Range, which is also where Jake Kaminsky started out. And, uh, you know, that place, when I started shooting there, had moving target butts. And it was a good thing because if it didn't have moving target butts, there would have been a four-foot bank of blue cigarette smoke obscuring your view of the bottom target. And I am not exaggerating. Everybody in that place Seems to have been a smoker except me and the other Joad kids. It was <laughs> it was unbelievable. I probably have inhaled more secondhand smoke than than most nineteen uh, sixties air air you know aircraft. Uh, uh, what do you call them? You know, stewardess. Uh, I didn't want to use that phrase, but yeah, that's the word. Yeah, flight attendants. Flight attendant. Yeah, flight we, attendants. We fly enough. We yeah. You know, people used that. to smoke on airplanes back in the day. Yeah. Right? So I mean, my goodness. So anyway, kind of glad we're past that. I'm not even sure how we went off into the weeds on this subject. We were talking about field archery. That's yeah. it. We were talking about Redding, Redding and going back to the fact that some people, you know, you know, there used to be guys at Redding that would carry those stabilizers with the screw cap and you'd keep adult beverages in there. Oh, wow. But as you would drink, I imagine the balance yeah, you, of your bow would change. <laughs> and I imagine their give a darn was also changing that, too. I'll bet their score improved uh, up to maybe, a point, yeah. up to a point. A little aiming but, fluid. Aiming fluid, yeah. Well, that's illegal in world archery, that's for sure. All right, and then after you get back from Reading and hopefully have a nice relaxing time in the sun as opposed to a miserable time in the mud. No, there's no coming back from Reading. We go straight to Columbia from there. I was going to say, yeah. there's no time. I, I will fly through Salt Lake, but I have like a 45-minute layover here, and then it's on to... That's not even enough time to go pick up a different bag if someone were to drop it off for you. No, it's not. So, Yeah. Okay. Just, just pretending so like we're So on not to home. Colombia after Reading. Yep. And in Medellin is the uh, FQT, uh, sorry, the F final continental qualifier for the Olympic Games for those countries that have not yet secured any slots. So they can qualify individuals here, correct? Yeah. Yep. Just one? I think so. And then they've got to go to the FQT for a team. Yeah, you, you can't qualify three people individually can you i don't know i should know these rules but i don't remember like say the usa recurve women finish first and second here the good news is this whole procedure is up on world archery's website which is archery.org but here's the bottom line there's going to be um i'll give you an example i think the uh, korean team is going there because it's going to be Closer yeah. time-wise and climate-wise to what they're going to encounter in Brazil. Yep, they're bringing and, their team. And so they're going to bring the the A team, you know. Um, you know, and fortunately for those in the continent, um, we're talking about a separate event, you know, that, that's not part of the World Cup. It's a separate event. You right. know if it's on the front or on the back this time around? 
Is it uh, on the back? I think, I think it's, it's on, on the, back. the back. I would I hope. Don't know. I would expect it would be on the back. But anyway, the point is that you've got um, you know a lot of people paying attention to this event. And as you alluded to, Steve, it's going to mix up the recurve brackets for the World Cup final this year. Completely, yeah. yeah. Those are, who knows what those Quite a few teams like. aren't going to be going to this thing. Quite a few teams are going to be going to this thing. So we're going to see a mix. Yeah. Some will have a different team. American team's going? Yep. Okay. So that's the other thing. The Americans are still in the middle of their Olympic selection process. I, I bet they wish they were done with that right yeah, now. Yeah, I totally agree. So that they could take their top three. And the alternate. Yeah, and the alternate to Antalya and let them go at it. Yeah, you know, but unfortunately, they're still going to have, you know, Olympic finals uh, or Olympic team finals will have just been finished. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Koreans are smart. They're taking some time off. They didn't go to Shanghai. Right. And they'll yeah. be ready when they go to Columbia. Yeah, recoup a little recoup, bit. And they'll then... recovered from that, honestly, brutal process that they follow. Yeah, they had something like 4,000 scored arrows to select their team. Hmm. Is what I was told. Wow. Well, all right. Well, that's, you know, that's a, that's a process that has been successful for them and has absolutely, unquestionably given them the position that they occupy right now, which is the team with the biggest depth in the world and right up there at least with the top three and arguably, you know, top, top for the women, mm-hmm. you know, worldwide. So. I think that just about wraps it up. Let's uh, let's give folks one more peek at your social media stuff. Steve Anderson eighty eight at Twitter, on Twitter, mm-hmm. and um, Big Cat Archery on, on Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I haven't been super active, so I should probably. So Isaac came up to me today. Isaac uh, Alleman uh-huh. uh, from our promotions department. He's like, "Hey, you guys, we need to do like a video podcast." And so I'm like, um, "Okay," and we need to do it live with listeners to you know to write in questions live while you're doing the podcast i'm like okay but two-thirds of the people that listen to our podcast aren't going to be able to tune in live yeah because it's two o'clock in the morning this is target archery isaac you know oh yeah so you know we're thinking about ways to maybe expand a little bit but um i'm not sure that's the way forward Maybe we should do a Periscope feed or something like that. Something, I don't know. Get into We're it. open to suggestions, I would say. Exactly. We're open to suggestions. And so if you have one, or you'd like us to do this differently, or you'd like to hear something else, or heck, you want to hear different people on the show, please send us an email at? Podcast at eastontp.com. Podcast at eastontp.com. And don't forget, please, to allow us to have uh, your review, good, bad, or ugly, on iTunes. If you are subscribing to us through iTunes, please do leave a review because it turns out that if you do that, it makes it a lot easier for other folks to find the podcast, mm. which is why now I just noticed the other day that our podcast is found in the top three results when you look at archery Very on nice. iTunes. I this still need to do the uh, 50 meters arrow upside down videoed. Okay. How about uh, trying I, to do that from the practice field in Columbia? That's what I'm thinking. I actually did take some shots that way. and It, it basically resulted in a high tweener like now, when you say upside line. down you're talking about the index vein being down and therefore striking the rest striking the rest versus yep. the other way around yeah i had really good results doing that so good results meaning you meaning didn't see much didn't see a whole lot of change in impact which tells you something about the specific tuning on your bow maybe tells you something about your specific but what do you shoot these days uh hoyt podium x 40 uh-huh or tells you something about your rest setup yeah i think it's honestly the rest um <clears throat> i use the aae freak show and it's got a longer blade so, maybe, so it's softer, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's a little softer. Um, 
I do have another one set up with a shorter version of the same blade. So I'll try both. Maybe. Okay. We'll, we'll see how it changes it. But, you know, from, from initial testing, experimenting, it, it wasn't a big change in impact. So I think maybe maybe that means I'm getting, a, you know, good, good uh, clearance over the blade and it's just not actually hitting that hard. I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. So one right after another. You got Redding, then you got Columbia, and then we got to start gearing up for Turkey. Yeah, it's crazy. I, that, that's like, I look at it as oh, you know what? the season winds down. You know what else is in between there, of course, is the European Championship, which is the right. the final continental qualifier for, for, the, Euros. for the Europeans. And yeah. I'll be there um, um, doing dual duty. I'll oh, be yeah. wearing a, uh, a, a foreign shirt <laughs> and uh, possibly announcing. So we'll see what happens at yeah. that event. Swiss coach George. No, no, wait. I said a foreign shirt. I didn't name a name. Now, what are you doing to me? Oh. You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> this is on the QT. All right. So anyway, that uh, just about wraps it up. We appreciate you joining us. We, again, appreciate all of your wonderful questions and and most especially the very kind comments that we seem to get uh, here on the podcast. You got something else? No. Oh, I see your finger well, in the I appreciate air. the rude remarks, too. You know, um, I've heard you've had a few of those. Have I've I? Heard, well, you've heard people coming up to you at events, I've heard. Not with rude remarks. Oh, well, that's because you're intimidating and large. <laughs> it's Isaac. It's Isaac that got the rude remarks Oh, when well. he was at uh, Louisville, I think. Well, we got to clarify those with him. Okay. You know. All right. <laughs> hey, we're all about remarks. I don't care if they're rude or not. Yeah. It's all good. And we do appreciate everybody listening in. So for myself, George Tekmachub, and Steve the Big Cat Anderson. End of show. End of show. <laughs>